the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I'm sorry that the the tone of the, the last few sermons have been more on the, the negative side, but it's because of where we are in the year, right, that we do need to do a little bit of reflecting. Today we, we spoke multiple times about the woman who washed the feet of Christ. Um, and as Emma Carlos was talking about earlier today, there's multiple instances of, of the same thing. And one of them, the one that, that I like maybe more than the rest, I'm not sure, is the one that we read in the, in the, in the midnight hours. Because it starts off when, when the woman is being judged, Christ starts off by saying, a certain man had two debtors. Right? Because the concept here was that the one debtor thought the other debtor was the real debtor. Right? It's like, oh, this person owes a lot, so she's the messed up one. And often we're in that position of being that person who thinks we're not the debtor. But he ends that story, and this is why I'm being more of a self-accusing these last few days. The tone will change tomorrow, don't worry. In that... Christ makes a very simple statement at the end of that conversation and says, To whom, to he that is forgiven little, loves little, and he that is forgiven much, loves much. And this is why God is calling to attention all the things that the people are doing. Because if they're not aware that they're doing it, they don't even know what to be grateful for. Right? You're not going to love much because just like, yeah, that's for that big sinner over there. Yeah, that person needs saving. And many of us are often in that position of thinking that we're in a good place and we're quick to point out what's wrong with everyone else. So I'm going to go through, I won't, I'll try not to, I know I talk too much, I'll try not to talk too much about each one of the points, just to go through the readings from the mor morning until now to look at the, we looked at the types of relationships that are wrong the other day these are types of characteristics um, that a person starts to see as they lose their relationship with God. These are the things that a person would see. And I hope that as you're listening, that you're not thinking of other people you think have done this, but to think of, of yourself, even as I was thinking of myself um, when, when doing this. The first thing that starts off with the prophecy this morning will point out a characteristic that many of us have, which is a person who starts to have a relationship going sour is someone who begins to murmur and complain a lot, right? The story that we read at the very beginning is God has just, in a most wondrous way, miraculously taken the Israelites out of Egypt by opening up, like, the seas, pillar of light by... <laughs> by night and, and this and the cloud by by day I always confuse day and night um, and the ten plagues like there, there's been a strong show of divine intervention and yet they've barely crossed the Red Sea and they're already murmuring and complaining about what they're gonna eat right like they're they're not like wow we could have died they're not thinking wow we were delivered they're thinking Wow, you brought us all out here and now we're going to die, right? They didn't think, oh wow, he got me through this, he can do something. Instead it's, look at how the Lord pulled one over me. And they start to complain to the point that God names the name, as you're reading your Old Testament, 
like we said in the first day, look stuff up, don't just read it and skim. What God named it, when you'll see sometimes like in God called it Jehovah this or Beit something or Jephra, like all random names, they're not random. They're usually very simple names saying what the people did there. And so he actually named that place Temptation and Railing. Right? That's what it means in, in plain English, is what they did. And that murmuring and complaining is a bad sign in a relationship because it also leads to mistrust, right? Which is why the question that the Israelites ask after this incident is, is the Lord among us or not? Right? Like, like that's a, a strange question for this group of all people to be asking. A person who is murmuring and complaining typically doesn't trust others. In fact, the next reading says who the person trusts. It means that you trust yourself and you trust your own wisdom. You trust that if I were in that person's place, I would be the one pouring over with wisdom and I know what I would do. What God should have done was insert your divine wisdom here. And that's why the the the... The second reading starts with trust in God with all your heart and do not exalt in your own wisdom, right? You might not get what's going on. You don't always know what someone else is doing, not just God, other people, right? There's a lot of things that you might not understand. And if you judge in your own eyes, you're going to have contention and you will ruin the relationship, which is exactly what we're talking about. Because within you, you have a supposition that the person in front of you is either ignorant or doesn't understand or doesn't like you or doesn't care and you're going to operate with the assumption that you're right about those things that you are wise about those things and that's going to lead you basically to even more and more conceit do not be wise in your own eyes right this is a huge message of the morning instead you should trust in the Lord, which we'll come to. But my lack of trust in God and then my own trust in myself, the next consequence of this in terms of characteristics and behavior is you're just going to stop working hard because you're not going to see the point in it. Because you're going to think that it's a futile system because it's a messed up system because you've decided it's a system that doesn't work. And that's why in that same passage... Solomon calls out saying, Honor the Lord with your just labors and offer him the first fruits of righteousness. Right? Whereas he's saying this because people aren't. Right? Is that if I don't trust, if I think the world of myself, I'm going to do whatever I want for me, but I'm not going to work hard toward anything else. Which means that your relationship is only going to weaken more because you're not doing anything in the relationship. Nobody enjoys a relationship, right, where, where someone is just piggybacking off of you all the time, right? How many people have complained about feeling manipulated or feeling like they're being used or feeling that, that somebody was in it just for some benefit and not having a mutual relationship? This is a sign when you stop working, you're not in a real relationship. And when you stop doing the work, then what you stop liking is discipline. You don't want anyone to tell you what to do. And and this is the story of Israel, right? And, and the story of Israel is the story of every one of our souls. Every single one of us goes through these phases. My son, do not despise the discipline um, of the Lord. 
Because if you want what's right, you're going to discipline yourself for it. If you are now cold towards the person you're relationship with, you won't, right? People have discipline in their relationships all the time, right? If, if, a, if a spouse, it's just the easiest like analogy to use, if even even high school couples, okay, no offense high schoolers, but when they're in their immature relationships, right, if some guy finds out that another guy is texting his girlfriend, he raises hell, right? He has a big, it's a big musiba, right? How dare you and don't you know and what could you be thinking and they go on and on and on and it's the biggest drama in the world, right? Because it's seen as some kind of betrayal of the relationship. And now the person is forced, even if they think it was no big deal and what are you so worked up about, is now going to have to discipline him or herself, right? Of saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go against my will for the sake of something else. This is a discipline, right? If I want to have a relationship with somebody, I don't just mean romantic now, I mean even a friendship, of somebody who values something, I might have to discipline myself to be more reverent about something that I might not be, and we'll come to reverence in a bit. Rejection of discipline is a big sign that there's, there's a big characteristic showing that something is wrong with your relationship. And the consequence is, or the next step is, you start to make new alliances. Right? The next reading of the morning is from Hosea. And Ephraim went to the Assyrians and sent ambassadors to King Jerem. Ephraim is the northern kingdom, often when God is referring to the northern kingdom, because it was mostly in the area of the Benjamites, which is the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. He might just call it Ephraim sometimes. Um, so he's saying, you know, you used to trust in me. I used to fight your wars. Right? It used to be that when you went to war, you had no fear. Right, I was, I was the, the real story of three hundred that like there's movies about, but the, the the original authentic story is in the book of Judges, right, with Gideon and the three hundred, where God intentionally kept on bringing down the number from the thousands to three hundred to fight the thousands, and and explicitly said, "This is so you know that it's not you, right? There's no other reason that I'm doing this other than to prove to you this is not your power," but the same people that have that experience are now trying to form alliances with the Assyrians, later on with the Egyptians, right? They're trying to find new friends, right? They're saying, I don't know if I trust this guy, I don't like this thing anymore, this is the next thing you do, is you find that you take on your secular friends, and again, reflect, right? That is like, yeah, my church friends are too judgmental, right? My church friends, like, I don't know. Right? And you find whatever reasons why they're no longer the, the right crew for you um, so that you can form your new alliances. And you have the audacity that even though you ditch them, that in your time of need, you go crawling back to them. Right? That in the same reading... God says, and yet in their affliction, they will, seek le they will seek me early, saying, let us go and return to the Lord our God. And he goes on saying all of these things that they say, 
where like like what we do to our parents right where it's like you know I love you and I didn't mean it and it's just because we want something right and then the minute we get it two weeks later we're, we're back to whatever it was right and it's just like you know me you know I love you and it's like actually I, I don't know right this is what God is saying like do you right is that you form these new alliances and we lose the fear of God the reverence of God and reverence which is the real meaning of fear fear doesn't mean like God isn't looking for you to sit in front of him and like and, and, and tremble right this is not what what is meant by the fear of God you might have that reaction but that's not what he's looking for right reverence means that I value you I respect you I, I, I see you as something dignified, right? And I will give you honor. This is what, what we lose as we, we go down this route. And what this accumulates as is a self-absorption like we talked about the other day that makes you so drowsy, you become so unaware of how self-absorbed that you are that you don't even feel like doing good anymore because you're numb right you're you're just you're just so obsessed with your gratification that you don't see the point he who tells something to a fool tells it to one who is drowsy is the expression that um that that jesus the son of sirach says um, and these people are impossible to talk with, right? Like you, you can't, it's like sitting beside somebody who's addicted to video games while they're playing the video game. I'm like, you know, you really, you really, you're playing too much, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, after this game, right? It's, it's the completely wrong time because he's so self-absorbed in himself and in the game and whatever it is that there is nothing turning properly here during that point. So you can give like sermon until you go blue in the face. You could be doing matanyas in front of like the kid's feet and he will not be aware that that's going on because he's glued on this thing that's giving him pleasure and entertainment and joy and the thrill during that time. And so if you're in this self-absorption, you can be totally numb to God in a spiritual way as well. It's not it might not be your your video games, but what is it that you are so self-absorbed about that you don't become aware of your God or even of the concept of doing something um, good? And that's why he says, if you want to avoid this, do not talk much with a fool, and do not go to a man who is unintelligent. Beware of him, lest you have trouble. Right, which is in modern English, don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Right? If there's a group that doesn't value what you value, do you expect to get much good out of it? Right? If you're saying that you don't want to be intoxicated every day, if that's a thing that you actually believe to be wrong, do you think if you're with a group that only does that, that you're not going to do that? Be real. Then, 
there's a big section of this morning that shows what this lack of reverence does and what a sour relationship does. And it's the sins of the tongue, which a lot of people wouldn't associate with something going wrong. Complaining, lewd expressions, lying, gossiping. Do not accustom your mouth to swearing, nor become used to the naming of the Holy One. A man who swears many oaths will be filled with iniquity. If he offends, his sin will be on him, and if he does not confess his sin, he makes a double offense. Do not let your mouth become used to lewd expression, for there is a world of sin in this. Words are powerful, because words come from a thought, and a thought comes from the heart. So what you say really matters, right? You can't take back things that you say. And if your tongue is loose, if you're able to swear a lot, it means you don't value truth. Basically, whatever you can be sarcastic about, whatever you can lie about, whatever you can say so plainly, whatever you can make light of, means that you think you're above it. It means that you think that this thing is worthy of your mockery, which means that you think it is a lesser thing than you. If you can say the name of, the God, of your God over and over and over again, it means that he's just some random thing to you. If you can be crass all the time in your joking, right? It means that you don't value purity because you think lewdness is funny. If you think that lying is okay, it means that you don't value truth. It's very simple. This isn't a deep philosophical concept. It's just plain obvious, right? Whatever you can joke about means that you disdain that thing. How many of you would joke and make fun of someone or something you care a lot about? How many of you would accept someone mocking you? Forget someone else, you. If someone were to mock you, how would you take it? Most of us might out loud say, yeah, yeah, it's all good fun, right? But part of us is going to go home being like, why did that person say that? What does that person think about me? Why does that person think it's okay to belittle me? That's what we're going to internally be feeling. Because the joke means that we don't care. It means that we don't have reverence anymore. And this in particular to me is one of the biggest problems of my generation and younger. Is that we don't reverence anything. Right? I remember when we were a kid, it was, hi, Mr. Johnson, hello, Mrs. Fields, whoever it was, it was Mr. and Mrs. And there was this deep respect. Now, like, the four-year-old is just like, hey, Tom, right, to the, to the neighbor. And, it's, and that's what they're raised in as, as normal. But there was a level of teaching, right, of give dignity to your elders. See that you can learn something from your elders. It didn't mean that the elder is untouchable. Right? But it was a way of showing reverence, a way of showing dignity, a way of showing honor. And so if you're loose with your tongue, know that something very seriously is wrong. It means you don't have borders anymore. It means you don't have anything sacred defined for yourself anymore. And as a person reaches this state, they start to get really hypocritical because they know that they're doing something wrong, but they don't want to acknowledge that. And we see 
in the Gospel of John from the morning that after the woman comes and pours extremely expensive ointment on the feet of Christ that Judas in indignation says what a waste of money this could have been given to the poor as you become more secular which is what Judas has done and what is this person who's losing relationship with God is you start to want to treat righteousness with contempt. I remember talking to an atheist once who was so bothered by Mother Teresa and it baffled me where I'm just like really like of all the people to be angry with like this is like who you're choosing to, to have a match with being so angry of saying I don't like how she spent her Nobel Prize money I, 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 it, I was at a loss right of, of, of really like this is the issue but this is this is what Judas is doing, right? He's, he's so mad. How dare you waste this money, right, on the feet of, of Christ when you could have done X, Y, and Z? Because his thinking has already gone astray, right? His thinking was about, originally, what is Christ going to do for me? It turns out he's not doing that stuff that I thought he was going to do. Therefore, this is just some guy, right? The reverend starts going down, and, and, and he starts taking a whole route. But think about the things that you're sarcastic about, right? Think of all the people, for example, who to justify their wrong lives will be like, everyone in church is a hypocrite. Maybe. That's possible, right? But it's irrelevant. If there's something true, then you do what's true. But you don't use someone's wrong to justify your wrong, right? But it becomes a comfortable thing to point at how wrong something someone else does, right? Or the, the typical when someone's doing a particular sin of, you know, this thing is like your coffee, right? This is just my addiction. Instead of saying addiction is wrong, right? It's, it becomes a useless debate. And the step after this is to be almost blasphemous. The readings take us back to the Israelites after numerous miracles at this point, like, like many. And the Jews say, if only we had died in the destruction of our brethren before the Lord. And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord in the desert? To kill us and our animals? And why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to come into this evil place, a place where nothing is sown, neither figs, nor vines, nor pomegranates, nor is the water to drink, right? Where now you take in a whole other level of completely forgetting all the good things that this person has done for you, or that this God has done for you, and your eye becomes evil. Your eye is now only looking for what you can call wrong. Right? This is exactly what they're doing here. What can I find wrong with God? Even though in another part you'll read that why did God take them through this long route? God took them through a long route because there's a war going on on this side. And he said if they see this war, they're going to despair. And they're going to wish that they hadn't left. I'm going to take them from here. So that that way they can grow in the wilderness, we can uproot all that's wrong, and I'll give them all this stuff that I promised them, right? And yet, they're half blaspheming against God, full of evil. And again, 
the most obvious thing that people will do at that point is find people who think like you because it's the most comfortable place to be is to say I'm now going to choose not the truth I'm not going to look for what's right I'm going to look for people who agree with us my son do not let ungodly men lead you astray and do not consent if they invite you saying come with us partake with us if you go with them you will do like them which is probably why you're going to begin with the scary part of this is that if you've joined this group of friends you're no longer gonna hear God which makes you doubt him even more which makes your relationship even weaker because you're in a place that he is not and it's that simple right obviously physically existentially he's everywhere but I mean the sense of where is he active right I are when I don't want to use examples because there's there's kids but when some people when they're going to get married right I'm like where where do you expect to find a lot of, of young men I'll be sexist here are like I can't find good godly women I'm like well where are you going right because you're not going to church <laughs> so where are you expecting to find them it's not at the places where you're at right if that's where you think you're gonna find godly people it isn't so I'm there's no shock there Right? So you're not going to hear God's voice when you're in a place that has absolutely nothing to do with Him. And because you're not hearing Him, you take it as a proof that He's not there. Right? Where you're, you're sitting at the pub being like, I don't understand why God's not answering. Right? Not condemning all pubs, but I'm saying, is that where you think you're going to hear the voice of the Lord? Right? It's not likely going to be the place. And he says, I will not listen to you. <laughs> Sorry. Right? It would be almost like calling your parents from the, like, the one place they told you never to go, being like, you should come join me. Right? And they're like, are, are, you, are you joking? Right? Like, that, that's, that's just cruel at that point. Like, this isn't even a joke anymore. It's, it's mean what you're asking from me. And so this person, as you can see, there's this development. It starts with the thinking, and it starts with the thought, and then it starts with the group, then it starts with behaviors. It, it just it, it evolves. And you find yourself isolated from your God. Those are the main things I want to focus on in terms of the characteristics of where we go wrong but I also want us to look at how our God is dealing with the same people right before you complain about what your God is doing because this is on our end of the relationship this is who this is what we are like on his end these same people who are complaining about crossing the Red Sea is trying to save everybody right he's still trying to get the Jews to the promised land and he's trying to save the Egyptians right like he's not even like saying I don't care about the Egyptians he says and I will be glorified in Pharaoh and in all his army and his chariots and his horses and all the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord 
right? He's not saying that in a show-off way of, ha, 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 I'm the Lord. He already knows he's the Lord, right? He doesn't need to, to prove it, right? But he was also looking for the salvation of Egypt, which we can see the same country that was killing people in the name of God are now being killed in the name of God. And then we see a God who's still faithful to his promises in spite of this reaction, right? Where he's like, no, if I promise you something, I'll keep it, right? How many of us would do that with somebody else? How many of us keep the promises that we make if somebody, in our, in our view, treats us like garbage, right? Where it's like, no, 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 I was going to be all that for you if you were nice to me, but now... Like, sorry, you lie about me, you gossip about me, you treat me like garbage, you humiliate me, you do X, Y, and Z, right? No, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't deal with you. And yet, our God is still doing it. That's why they bring us the story of, of Isaac um, and the vow made for him to find a spouse, right? Of saying that in the midst of all of this, I'm still working with you. We read about Isaac, we read about the Exodus, we're going to read about Abraham tomorrow, right? Of God being faithful to his promises in spite of our complete unfaithfulness. And he defends the victimized. Right? He defends the victims of the Old Testament and he defends the victims of the New. We read the story over and over like we said of the woman and our Lord turns around and tells everybody off who's treating her badly. And he literally says, leave her alone. Right? Don't, don't bully her. Right? She has done a great work that you don't understand. And in fact, this woman is going to go down in history, right? In the in the commemoration of the saints, when we say, as this, O Lord, is the command of your only begotten Son, that we share in the commemoration of your saints, it's coming from this passage. It's coming from a woman, even though we almost don't mention women um, in the commemoration of the saints. It came from this command, where he said, no, wherever the testimony of me is preached. Wherever you preach the gospel of me, this woman better be spoken of, which is probably why she's mentioned like crazy um, in all of the gospels, right? Of saying, no, he said, remember this woman. He upholds anybody who's struggling to do right and defends the victims. And he accepts every good gesture of a loving heart, right? The woman coming to him crying over his feet was coming to him because she felt guilty. She wasn't coming to him because she felt like she's such a good woman, right? She didn't come saying, I'm, I'm so holy, and what holy people do is they pour stuff on people's feet, right? She came saying, I'm disgusting, and I am horrible, and I don't deserve to be in his presence. What can I offer to this person who didn't even ask for it, right? God didn't even ask for it. I'm sure, just like the widow who offered two mites, if she came with a bottle of water, right? He would have been just as pleased with the offering of her bottle of water, right? But he was like, any gesture that you give to me, I'll take it, right? Because it means that you want me, you like me, there's something good here um, going on. And he will, and he will over-exalt the smallest thing that you do, right? It's like what, how we deal with little kids, right? Where like they, they brought you something from the counter and, and that's all they did. And she's like, very good. And we're very like dramatic, right? They learned how to clap and we treat it like the biggest deal in the world. Our God does that with us and he's genuine. Just like we're genuine with those kids, right? We're excited that they did something, right? He is excited, right? That we are actually putting something in to our relationship. And not only is he doing that, but he's planning our redemption 
even during all the evil that's going on. It says in Isaiah from the morning as well, Therefore this is what the Lord says. And keep in mind, Isaiah is prophesying during one of the worst periods of the, of the Jewish kingdoms, right? This is, sin is at one of its worst. See, I lay for the foundations of Zion a precious stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone for its foundations. Right? He is working their salvation in the middle of the rebellion. Right? That his, he is like, no, my ultimate goal is to save. Right? My ultimate goal is that even if you don't get it, even if you don't understand me, even if you're rejecting me, even if you're treating me like garbage, I want to save you. And I'm going to continue on my end to be faithful to you and to put whatever I can to help you. And he even tells us that he doesn't want to be angry. Right? He repeats it over and over. One of my favorite prayers, we read it in the concluding hours of the Agveya prayers, but it's from Ezekiel, right, where he says where, where God is reasoning with the people, and he says do you think I want you to die? Do you think I want you to suffer? Why do you think that about me? Why do you think that I would punish a kid for his dad's sins or a dad for his kid's sins? I don't. I don't do that. My desire is that somebody who's gone astray returns and lives. For I desire not the death of a sinner, but rather that he returns and lives. And then here in Isaiah he says, For I will not be angry with you forever. Right? In the middle of him like railing against every abuse that they're throwing up at him, he's still saying to them, And I know I'm not going to be angry. Right? Because in spite of you, I love you. In spite of everything you're doing, you're my kid. Right? And I'm not able to have infinite wrath on you. It's, it's against me to do something like this. And he's willing to suffer for the insolent people. Right? This, this gospel from the morning is a difficult one to read when a person's meditative. Now my soul is troubled, he says. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this reason I've come, right? Is that he is, he is going through anguish on our behalf, right? Think of two people who are in, in a fight where one is actually innocent, right? And he's going through all sorts of torture in his innocence while the wrong party is going out having a party, lying, saying all sorts of horrible things about this other person, right? And this person is in anguish but steadfast towards the relationship. But God will save us, but only through cleansing. And this is why this week is important. Is that there has to be a purifying of the house. There has to be a changing of, of the heart. Um, and if we don't, actually work on this, then the Lord won't be able to work with us. He prepares to lay himself down even when we call him insane and plot his death. Right? As they're plotting his death and telling him that he's crazy, he's masterminding the plan. I'll, I'll go quickly. I'm sorry for the timing. Um, and strives with us and fights with us 
even when we reject him for it, right? Imagine that person who's running, who's addicted, for example, to, to some substance. They just have this image in your mind of, of this person who's physically wrestling with them and holding them to prevent them from doing it. Somebody who wants to go kill himself, for example, and that person is physically holding them and preventing them from throwing themselves off of the thing. This is what he's doing. And the person perceives that violence as anger and as, as cruelty and as anger and as all sorts of horrible things when it is that very act that is actually saving them. This is what the Lord has done. And he hurts for us because he actually values our relationship. Right? He says, you especially have I known out of all the tribes of the earth. Right? You specifically, because I chose you. Right? So of I'm hurt, right? I'm very hurt by this. And I didn't do anything without telling you, even though I didn't have to. Right? For the Lord God will do nothing without revealing instruction to his servants, the prophets. And in spite of our, our hating of the truth, he still tells the truth. Right? This almost last gospel that we we read, we see that they take up stones to kill him for telling the truth. This is like man's reached like the complete stupidity where like like all that stuff we talked about at the beginning. And now he looks at God and now accuses God of the blasphemy. Right? Instead of himself seeing himself as the blasphemer, now he's accusing God of blasphemy. He's like, because you called yourself God. Right? And then they turned to try and kill him. And yet he accepted this. I'll end with this, is that He respects our free will because He loves us, right? He's not going to force anybody to come to us, to come to Him. If you don't want to have a relationship with Him, He allows it. That's why He says so plainly in the last Gospel, where He says, I have come as a light into the world so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the dark. I'm coming offering something. If anyone listens to me, my sayings and doesn't believe, I don't judge him. He just said it point blank. I'm not going to judge him. Right? He goes, let, let the truth judge him. Right? Let the light judge him. That's not why I'm coming. I've come for one thing only, to save. That's what he says next. That's why I'm coming. If you want it, welcome. If you don't, let the truth judge you. Let each judge himself according to the truth. Let each of us ask what is our response to the steadfastness of the Lord? Are we the woman who brings to him an offering of love? Or are we the railing accusers who walk in our own way and according to our own counsels? Glory to the Holy Trinity, our God, and to the ages of ages. Amen.